Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Views on View. This week on our panel, we have Divya Sasidaran. Hello, hello. Eric Hanchett. Hi. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And this week, we have a special guest, and that's Natalia. Ooh, let's see how uh, brave I can be. I always ask guests, and then I say it wrong anyway, so I just quit asking guests. Sepluhina. Oh, my God. Yeah, it happens every time when I did it for actually for the view gs news pet podcast because greg Pollock is pronouncing it like you and it's completely wrong oh good <laughs> <laughs> okay my name is natalia tepluhina <laughs> but okay that's what i meant to say so do you want to introduce yourself real quick let everybody know why uh, they're world famous and okay Maybe not world famous, but I'm a Vue community partner, which means you can find me on a Vue.js team page. I'm the CTO of Vuevixens organization, and it's an initiative to teach Vue.js to women and those who identify as such. And I work as a senior front-end developer at GitLab. Nice. And we've, we've had some folks from GitLab on before, so good stuff. I've been using GitLab for my stuff, so I, anyway, I, I like the stuff. You work on cool stuff. So uh, anyway, um, you came on to talk about documentation. And I'll tell you, documentation is my favorite thing to work on. I just, I can't get enough working on documentation. And if you believe that, then I've got some oceanfront property in Arizona, I will sell you. So documentation, I, I hate doing it. Why, why do I need to know about it? So first of all, I need to confess. And it was actually supposed to target Chris Fritz, but... Okay, so when I just started with an open source, I actually divided all contributions to real contributions, like code stuff, and docs contributions, which are like some lame stuff, everyone can do it, and it's probably not a real contribution to the open source. And oh my God, I've never been so wrong about it. Because the more I do contributions, the more I'm involved into the open source, the more I value documentation. But for some reason, it's still underrated in the development world, at least where I am, where I live, and among the people I communicate with. And actually, I don't know why. So I decided to run a poll on Twitter just to ask open source maintainers and just the users like, do you value docs contributions? as high as code ones. And surprisingly, at least for me, like 93% of all people think code contributions are really, really important and maybe they value it even higher than code contributions. Yeah, you got a lot of like feedback from that tweet. <laughs> there was like, what was it? I think 2,400 people voted and then there was a bunch of people who commented to add on to what you said. So there's a lot of like strong opinions around the importance of documentation contribution versus code. Because like you were saying, Natalia, there's always this feeling in open source, like if you make just a doc contribution, it's not like real and you're not like actual open source contributor. You're just like doing the soft skills or whatever, which is actually not true because a lot of the times projects is really important to have good docs so people use your projects because otherwise it's like this it's not if it's not clear then people won't use it yeah but it's also easy to discount because anybody can write docs is is kind of the assumption right i think yeah it's it's a false assumption too it's, because it's totally I think a false it's, assumption yeah because like 
a lot of the times, even when I write docs, sometimes it's, I mean, I'm guilty of this where it's almost an afterthought. You're like, oh, I built this. Everyone will probably make the same assumptions and know what I'm talking about. And you'll write shoddy docs like, oh, just install it through NPM, then run the test. And then that's all like, or add it through the CLI, whatever the, the tool does. Uh, but that's not the case. There's a lot of loops and holes in your logic that people have to kind of understand. Because no, the way you think is different from someone else who's approaching your project. Like someone might be a beginner, someone might be incredibly advanced and you have to fill those gaps and make sure that you're not making assumptions that um, will lead people down a rabbit hole or lead people to not use your project altogether, right? Yeah, exactly. So when I started Contribute to Docs, I found out it's extremely difficult to write a good, a really good documentation, understandable for, not even for everyone, at least for majority of people reading it. And what I think about Vue, why Vue is so cool and popular, because we all know it has an awesome documentation, and it's a huge part of Vue success from my point of view. <laughs> and I think like every meaningful contribution to this documentation makes you even more successful and it should be valued as a code contribution as well. Isn't it hard then to get people to write? I mean, first, you have an open source project. Just to get people on to contribute to your open source project is hard enough, but now you have to get people to do the not-so-fun thing of writing the documentation, which is probably also difficult to do. So it sounds like it's, it's a tough problem, and then writing the documentation is, is tough because, as Divya said and as you said, it's, there are so many... You have to put yourself in, in a beginner's shoes, maybe more intermediate, advanced. And it's almost like writing a book at times, I'm sure. Is that how you feel? Yeah, exactly. From my point of view, I don't know. Sometimes open source projects hire people to write documentation for them. Like they outsource coding stuff. Sometimes they outsource the documentation. I was actually hired to write some docs in the past. And it, it was the moment I realized probably it's easier to code for me than write a doc docs. Well, what other projects have you written documentation for? Oh, I was writing documentation for the Vue storefront. You probably heard it's open source e-commerce platform for Vue. Okay. Oh, that's awesome. Nice. Is it hard to write documentation? I'm not, I'm not assuming that English isn't your native language. Was it hard? <laughs> yeah, it was hard, definitely, but not only because of English, but mm -hmm. also because... When you try to make a code contribution, you need to learn the code base. But when you try to write docs, you actually still need to learn code base even deeper because for single code contribution, you need to learn just a part of the code base, not the whole stuff. And to write docs, you need to, how it works really deeply and you need skill to explain how it works to people. That's a really good point. Uh, that Because I think there's also, like you said, just... You have to understand something. It's similar to teaching. You have to understand a concept so well that you can explain the in-depth details of what something means. So like you can, instead of glossing over concepts, you have to actually explain what you mean. So that's always the hard part because I think also in a sense, it's similar to, I find writing docs is, is the ideal is that you are conversational enough or it's some, it's kind of like sitting next to someone and teaching them like how to use a project, except you have to write, write it out. <laughs> so when they read it, they know where to look. 
and how, what exactly you mean by a specific word and yeah, stuff like that. But when you're creating docs, like what is your process? Like how do you go through to figure out if the docs is comprehensive? Oh, first I usually just make uh, something simple, really simple and really basic without explaining it deep like a thesis. After this, I'm trying to expand all the point and then reread it like five times, trying to understand if it actually, if it actually fits the main rules for documentation. And these rules are stolen from Chris Fritz. When I was trying to make a really big contribution to Vue CLI documentation, he was reviewing it and he shared some rules for good docs. First one is like, try to explain a single concept at a time. Don't try to introduce a lot of new stuff for your user if you're explaining something. So if it's like, if you're explaining constants, don't go deep in functions or ternaries or whatever. Explain only one concept. Second one was try to give the most interesting points first. So if something is really entertaining, try to give it to user at the beginning because it's actually to have an attention from the user and it will keep this attention. So the idea is to to start small so that at least a user has something tangible and understands and then build a complexity from there. Yeah, exactly. And the third rule is like, try to follow the story. The whole documentation list part of it should be a story and you should have it like something, I don't know, something like the whole thing you need to start and follow your story because that's why you're keeping your user reading it. So in line with that, like, can you talk more about, like, when you build a story, do you start with a problem and then, like, talk about how to solve that problem or, like, what's the process of creating that story? Yeah, you're totally right. So first you need to say, like, what are you going to achieve in this part? What's actually the reason to read the docs? What are we going to explain? And after this, step by step, you're explaining how to achieve your goal. So say, if I was writing the docs for Vue CLI plugin development, you know this stuff because you actually were supposed to review it. So I created a CLI plugin and I was explaining all the concepts on the same example, on the same code. It was actually building this plugin from the beginning to the end. So we have the story of building plugin. That's really cool. And so someone can follow that. And then by the end of it, not only will they have built a plugin, like an example plugin, but they'll also understand how to do it themselves next. Yeah, I like that idea of sort of a narrative or guide or story where essentially yeah, you're, you're saying, okay, what are people going to want to do with this, right? It's not just, oh, what can I do with this? But it's, why are people going to come look at this? And then, yeah, it's, uh, essentially it's, here's how you would do what you're going to want to do. And and it keeps a lot of that really clean and elegant. And so instead of, I've seen documentation where it's basically, here's the API for this library. And it's like, okay, so now I have to go dig through all this stuff to figure which, which of these functions or methods I want to actually use in my project that's going to do the thing that I want done. And instead what Natalia is saying is tell the story of what somebody's going to actually come look at wanting to do. And that way they can just follow along and say, Oh yeah, I'm going to do that too. And it's really simple to get what you want that way. 
Yeah, exactly. I think API is like simply not enough. You can just say, okay, just go read the source code of this library. It's self-documented. Yeah, exactly. So easy. I hate yeah. that. I hate that when it, you have to read the source code to figure out what, how to use it. You know, this kind of reminds me of, of how you write a traditional book. Like when I was working with Manning on my book, we had a very, the same sort of way. We wanted it to have a lot of the chapters act like their stories. We wanted to like tell people where they're going before we show them where they're going. And then we remind them where they've been at the end of each chapter. We'd always try to use words like imagine if you're in this scenario and then explain what to do. I, I guess there's probably some parallels of like writing a really good book and writing really good documentation too. Um, my question though is what what sort of process does it happen when you want to contribute to like an open source project and write documentation? Are you literally like looking inside the, the GitHub issues for documentation tagged issues and then contributing that way? And then does then Chris, too bad, unfortunately Chris is on the on this podcast today, but then does Chris then kind of gatekeep all content before it gets pushed? So first, the source, like when to start and where to start. You can either follow issues because at least for view, they are marked with docs tag. So you can simply see what docs issues are now available and you can try to resolve them. Or you can just read docs and find some inconsistencies or like something is not written, something is written really badly. For example, it was case for Vuex without explaining some really, really basic stuff on installation. And you can just create an issue yourself and contribute and you can create a PR and wait until it's merged. As for actually merging PRs, if you're trying to contribute to view official docs like, like framework docs on Vue.js.org, it's gatekept by Chris and Sarah Dresner, from what I know. But if you're going to contribute to view core ecosystem like Vue CLI, Vue X, Vue Router, all these contributions are maintained by repository maintainers. So for Vue CLI, it will be probably Guillaume Cho. For Vue Router, it will be Eduardo, San Martin Morota, and, and so on. That's an interesting point. So there is, if you go to Vue.js.org, you have the official website. And if you click Learn at the top, you can go to the official documentation for the guide. But that's the overall guides. But then there's individual guides for each uh, subset, like the CLI and router for different libraries. Yeah, exactly. They all have separate documentation and it's like under the constant development because we have releases of these libraries and sometimes documentations need, documentation needs to be updated. So it's a lot of work if you want to contribute to your documentation. So if I write like some really interesting, like you said, you wrote some plugin information so then I have to decide, do I go to the plugin guides or do I go to the main guides? And does the main guides take some information from these other guides? Because I'm like looking at the plugins and I see there's some information in there, but I think you probably wrote more than this in the official guides. No, it, you will need to go to UCLI plugin dev. And I'm not even sure it's deployed right now because it was okay. merged like two weeks ago. And probably it will be deployed with a new minor release of UCLI when it goes live. But still, if you have like some interesting story and some interesting example you're building with Vue, you can contribute to Vue Cookbook. There is a link on UGS.org as well. And it's really great thing. I love it because it's 
useful examples of something we use in our developers' everyday life. Some form validations, API calls, I don't know, something like GraphQL probably. I didn't check cookbook on lay days, but you can try it. So let me even check recipes. So the difference between the cookbook and docs then is that cookbook has actual examples for use cases that you want to build. So like different kinds, if you want to use GraphQL or TypeScript or whatever, then the cookbook is a place to look at versus if you wanted something more specific, like if you were like, how do I create a Vue CLI plugin? Then I would go directly to the Vue CLI docs. Yeah, exactly, because it's VUCLI domain, so it's just easier to go there. Okay. One thing that I'm wondering about is sometimes I want to write an example or something like that, and I don't know that it necessarily belongs in the docs or the official docs, or you know, it's maybe it's something that I'm not sure I really want to contribute to the cookbook as opposed to putting on my own blog or something like that. So, so how do you start making that decision as far as where the appropriate place is for the thing that you want to demonstrate or build or whatever? Oh, I can say Vue.js team is very responsive. So probably the best way is to reach out to them. And probably the best way to reach out is to create a GitHub issue in the main repository, just asking, okay, I want to contribute to some domain, please let me know where is the best place to start. I know I've done in the past too. I've seen all these different, do- there's so much great documentation for UJS you know, to you know, amazing writers like you guys. But I've, I've been confused, like, okay, we have the cookbook and then I have the guide and then I have individual repos that I can look at the documentation through there. Sometimes if it doesn't fit in any of those, I like this github.com view. It's called Awesome View. There's a bunch of awesome dash projects out there and they just list a bunch of links to, to view content. So let's say you had a really cool view example you wanted to share with a lot of people, but it didn't really fit into the official guides, you could create, you know, post it on Medium, your own blog, and then just link it up on Awesome View, mm-hmm. which is yeah. um, under yeah, exactly. the official Vue.js GitHub. Actually, writing articles is a good way to documentation too, because two of my articles on Dev2 made their way to official documentation. So if you have a really nice article, probably it will be noticed, and you may have some kind of reaching out from Vue.js team, like, do you want to contribute this material to our documentation? Probably it will need some kind of rewrite because article and docs are kind of different, but still, it's the same content. And you might end up on this podcast because we have talked to a lot of people that have written cool Vue articles and interviewed mm-hmm. them. This is true. Yeah, I find that like articles pair really well with like cookbook recipes because you would have a like a cookbook recipe is pretty much just a really quick guide on how to build a specific tool or like how to hook various pieces together and the article like when you write an article or a tutorial you can really go in depth to explain further what you mean by specific things you can fill in assumptions because the idea of a recipe is that it's quick it's pretty fast you can get to the point really quickly. It's a lot of code versus a tutorial, which is like words. It's, it's similar to docs in a sense, uh, but more specific to use cases. The other thing yeah. I like about the articles is that you don't have to wait. Like if you need to clarify something, a lot of times it takes another contribution and then it has to go through the cycle again on the docs. Whereas on an article, you can just turn around and say, update, this is view version, blah, 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 blah. 
Um, and we're putting this in here to clarify because the next version of you came out and they're not compatible in these ways. Definitely. Yeah. I agree with that too, because I find that like going back to like cookbook versus tutorials, like I'll give an example. So um, like I work with D3 on occasion and D3 has so many different versions. So that are actually quite different from one another. So V3 was um, when D3 was just like a monolith project, like a single project. And then V4 was when it got split into modules and there were changes made to the API and there were all these tutorials floating around <laughs> where the versions were different, which meant the API usage was different. So you kept having to be like, wait, I'm following this tutorial, but my code isn't working because I'm on V4, but this tutorial uses V3. And right. it's really frustrating with those kinds of recipes and code samples. It's not as easy to explain that nuance to be like, hey, this is, by the way, like out of date. Versus like if you have an article, you can go back and update it or you can write a follow-up post like you were saying, Chuck, to be like, okay, this is an up-to-date version. The previous one you can still use, but you have to use this version. You can actually go in and say, here are a few guidelines if you're working through this article and you know, here's my updated version. Or here, just, just put a note on it that says, hey, this is not on the current version anymore or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But the cool stuff about articles is... There are some advanced concepts in view that are mostly getting by people not through official documentation, but through articles. I remember the recent discussion in view RFCs about uh, slots, about adding the directive for slots and a shortcut for it. And Chris Fritz mentioned that like 80% of users learn about slots and especially scoped slots from articles, not from the official documentation. It's really interesting statistics. Now, I wonder if they're real numbers on, I mean, to some degree, it's unknowable, right? But yeah, how many people are learning this stuff off of something like YouTube versus blog articles versus official docs versus some blend of those and what the blend looks like and or courses like on Udemy or Pluralsight or something like that. That'd be really interesting to know. I don't know if there's a way to get good numbers on that, but it'd be interested, interesting to know. I know the Udemy course that Maximilian does. He's a Udemy instructor. He has tons and tons of students, like 10,000. So I'd mm-hmm. say, yeah, there, there's a lot of people going on Udemy. You know, I even have a course on Vue.js on my own site. So I think it's, it's a good match. It's a good mix between some people love watching it on video. Some people love writing articles. Some people just type in Google and, Tons of people just type in little topics in Google and whatever the first two or three hits are, they, they check it out. You know, one thing about the updating, Natalia, is that something that you constantly have to do or is, it, is the API not changing enough to worry about updating these, these guides often? Now, if you write docs, you actually need to update them constantly, unfortunately, especially if you work on something which is developing fast. And I guess we will have a lot of stuff ahead with Vue 3 release because a lot of things should be rewritten due to change of reactivity, due to change the core of Vue from flow to TypeScript. And I think it's, it will be a lot of work for all documentation, the core one, the library one, and so on. I know I used to be a blogger. I did that for a couple of years and it was the same thing. I would always, I'd write this like really in-depth, you know, 6,000 word article on how to set up at that time, I think it was Ember.js. And then, you know, three months later, I'd get comments, hey, this doesn't work, or this doesn't work, or I tried this. And I'm like, ugh, 
So then I'm like, then I had to put like an update at the top. Updated as of 129, I think like Scotch and, and a bunch of other websites that give tutorials have to, to do that. So I'm assuming documents are even worse because now you have to, to, to be more on top of it. Yeah, exactly. I think it's just a good habit if you're an author of article to update them from time to time just to let, or, or at least you can date it like it's valid for this version for this date and so on, just to let your readers know if it's actual information or not. Yep, yep. So I think we've covered a lot on, on documentation. Is there, is there anything else we want to ask you about that? There, there was one thing I wanted to bring up, and, and that is, is you've contributed to some of the documentation on some of the official Vue projects. But it looks like um, Vue Vixens has also created some documentation on the curriculum over there. And so I'm curious, is the approach that different between, you know, writing up an open curriculum like what you're doing over there versus writing up some of the tutorials that you write up to help people get into view in the first place on the official docs? Yeah, they are different because the whole VivExense curriculum is meant to be used during the workshops. The full day workshops are half day, but still, it's actually the on the actually the, the off-site workshop when you have mentors. That's why you don't need to go too deep into details like in the documentation because people will always have a mentor around and they can simply ask if they don't know. And you can't really write a really really long curriculum because nobody will just read it and do it at the same time because it's actually really exhausting to read the wall of text before you can start working on something. So Vivixen's curriculums are shorter and more crispy. That makes a lot of sense. And it's interesting too, then looking at documentation, not just from the standpoint of who's going to read this and how are they going to use it. But yeah, definitely the use case where it's, hey, this is a curriculum where we expect that somebody's going to have live help, you know, an instructor, uh, uh, you know, mentors and things like that versus, you know, the, the documentation where it's like somebody may come into this and try to walk through it on their own. This is a How good does... time then to transition to talk about Vue Vixens a little bit. Yeah, uh, yeah. absolutely. Uh, unless Eric had something to bring up. No, that's what I was going to say. So maybe that's a good idea. I read my mind. Okay. Cool. So Natalia, can you talk more? I, I think we've mentioned Vue Vixens on the podcast before, but maybe it's worth like just giving a quick overview for some listeners to like what Vue Vixens is and the goals and aims and mission. Okay, sure. So Vue Vixens, as I said, is an initiative to teach VGS to women. It's not an original idea. There were such initiatives like Chunga Girls, Rails Girls, NG Girls, if we speak about front-end to teach Angular. So we decided to do the same and create an initiative to teach Vue. But it was actually created by Jen Looper and announced one year ago on the stage of U Amsterdam. Yeah, we will have Actually, one year, we will reach one year old here in the upcoming conference, which is really cool. We are young, but still. And she decided to choose not the girl's name, because it's not really fun, but to have a nice alliteration with Vue Vixens. And it was really cool because we needed to create a curriculum, create workshops to teach people, and it was a lot of work on them. I'm the proud author of the whole web part. Now, when you say the web part, what do you mean? We have workshops for web applications and for native applications with ah, native script. Okay. So I'm the author of the web one. And since creating, we had like 20 workshops all over the world. 
it was very successful and was taken really good. Yeah, you guys have grown quite quickly as well since starting out. I'm amazed every time I see a new chapter because I think all of you have really been pushing hard to grow View Vixens and and like can you talk more to to like the outreach and where exactly View Vixens is and the branches currently? Oh my, I'm afraid to fail because it's like there's too many. <laughs> yeah, I just can't keep up with all the chapters we have because it's growing so fast. So we have a great coverage of Latin America, like Mexico, Argentina. We have people in Peru. And we have some Europe chapters in Sweden and Germany and Spain as well. And of course, we have a nice coverage of United States, like New York, probably the most active on New York City, DC. Oh my God, where is it? In Atlanta as well because we were there for Connect Tech Conference and we started a chapter there. So it's a lot of chapters right now and we are growing really, really fast. And I think we will switch more to running local meetups instead of just creating workshops for conferences. Because previously we, we did this kind of activity. We run the workshops during big events connected with View, like View Amsterdam, View Conf US, View Jazz Road Trip and so on. That's really exciting. I'm I'm like always looking forward to what V Vixens does and like because the work even the workshops that you run um that I've seen at conferences always get a lot of feedback and there's a lot of people who are interested in learning about view and it's just like such a wonderful I think the course curriculum as well is very well thought out because there's an understanding of like going back to what you're saying, the use case of what you're building. You start with something and then you build complexity. There's that thought into the curriculum built in as well. Because like I've done View Vixens before, like I've done a workshop and I've helped out as well. And it's like, you know, there's a lot of satisfaction for someone who's never built something and for someone who has built like a View app before because of the different, like it's different. It's very, it's awesome. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much for this because it was one of the hardest points because usually people create courses like to build to-do app or something like this, which is cool and it has a lot of basic concepts, but it has almost zero satisfaction at the end. That's why we decided to utilize the UI library. It's probably not so basic, but people have a nice looking application at the end. They have pictures. Actually, our application is designed to like dogs. And like, everyone likes dogs. Why not? And people really like the results. Yeah. And I think it's cool too, because a lot of the times, even in the view docs itself, it's to build like, you know, understand reactivity, understand how the view ecosystem works. Um, and this view Vixens cor course is like geared towards building a mobile application. Like, can you, can you speak more to like the reasons for that? Or like how exactly you came up with this idea? The mobile application, you mean uh, the whole web one? The, the mobile, like the reason for building a mobile application and, and like, because I think that's very unique, right? And a lot of people who I've seen come to the Vivixens workshop, they may be web developers, like sometimes they're very beginner, sometimes they're advanced, but usually it's like, oh, I've never built a mobile app before. And so you learn something. It's, it's like everyone kind of understands and like take, has a takeaway from it. Yeah, we, we decided to join this part for two reasons. Actually, first one is because it's unique, it's interesting, and it's really, really fun to have an application on your mobile. 
we actually had one more interesting thing. It was combining native mobile application with particle photons, which is kind of baby Arduino. So you can also learn some Internet of Things. And the second reason was actually trying to promote native script view because from my point of view, it's really underrated right now. So if you do React, you have an option of React Native. And it's like, it's, it's a default choice. Probably if you want to build a native application with React, you have only React Native, but for Vue, we have a bunch of options. We have Wix, which is cool, but probably it's very Chinese. We don't have a lot of documentation in English and that's why it's not so famous. We have Vue Native, which is cool as well, but it compiles to React Native and it's an additional step. So it's like, okay, but why? And we have native script, which is really cool to build native applications. And why not to try not to show people they can do it? Yeah, that's really cool. I think native script is definitely, like you said, underrated. And there's a lot of really cool... It, it's just optimized for the platform. So instead of using Vue native, which is like not built for Vue, it's native script has a lot of the assumptions and things. So when you're building a native script app, you don't feel like you're taken out of the context and building something that's mobile. Because when you're building a mobile application, you tend to think in a very different way. It's diff it's a different paradigm. The UI is slightly different. But when you build a native script, it's actually like quite similar, the thinking. There's certain things, you know, like UI elements that you might have to build. But I think in general, like the reactivity is the same. There's like a lot of the view concepts that you're used to is like it carries over very, very well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If we consider view single file components, the template part will be different, but the script part is actually the same. The whole business logic is the same. And one more thing really, really important for workshops, they have a playground. Because if you have people, some of them really see the whole environment for development for the first time. They don't have IDEs. They don't have NPM modules installed, and probably they don't even know what Node.js is. And it's really, really crucial to have playgrounds for both web and mobile. And when for web, we have a bunch of different kind of playgrounds, sandboxes, like you can name Stablitz. It doesn't have view integration, unfortunately. I really hope for it, but we have code sandbox, and we use it for Vivix workshops. But if we speak about mobile frameworks, it's like you have almost no choice. You need to install SDK and it will take a lot of time. But native script has a playground and it's a huge win for us. And doesn't Jen Looper work for native script? Yep. Yeah, so that helps too. We've got an expert there. He's actually developer advocate for native script. Yep. Yeah, and she's done she's built some really interesting applications. Like one of her talks from last year was on building like a machine learning application in native script and Vue. And and at ViewConf she built like a she built something what was it oh it was a language translator yeah yeah Elocute. which was yeah Elocute, which is really cool and and adorable and it's just really nice to to just see the like again a lot of the time I'm speaking for myself here of course but I'm a <laughs> web developer and I only build for the web and so it's just nice to see the ability for you to build a mobile app I'm like oh okay a mobile app is not that difficult. And it's possible to build with native if I use native script. Because like the playground is huge, for, for instance. I can easily immediately get that feedback loop. 
like I've built for mobile in the past and there's always that like you have to wait for it to compile and you have to somehow like serve it onto your phone like there's a lot of extra steps needed and this one is you scan a QR code and then like your app is mirrored to your IDE that you're using which is like a sandbox environment so anytime you make changes your app updates which is very similar to if you're using like hot module reloading in in like webpack so like again the context is very similar so for as a web developer writing a mobile app is very approachable yeah i'm a web developer as well and every time i run a workshop with a native script part it still feels like a magic for me when people have these applications like refreshing on their mobile phones it's like wow it works yeah definitely This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So... If you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Well, I'm just curious then, uh, it sounds like you're, constantly looking for new ways to teach women how to write view. So is there anything new coming or are you mostly focused on helping chapters open up or, you know, where do you spend your time these days with view vixens? Oh, we will have actually a new kind of content. It will. So we have a huge full day workshop and we have so-called minis, which are designed to be run in one or two hours, but we decided to run also so-called nanos. And Nano is a, actually a mini-mini workshop. It's designed to be run in 20 to 30 minutes, and it's just one concept explained. Like I told previously, when you want to explain just a single concept, like computed properties maybe, or I know something really, really similar, like single API call, like how Axios works with you and so on. It's the first one, but other plan is to create some kind of advanced tutorials. For now, our curriculum is designed for basic usage for people who probably can see HTML and CSS for the first time. But we decided to create advanced workshops. And right now, well, I'm working on the GraphQL one, which is really interesting for like medium level developers. What is the range of web developers for Vue Dixon, uh, Vue Vixens? Is it lot of beginners and then a handful of intermediate and experts like like you or is it a lot of people are coming in is it all levels i mean how would you categorize the workshops you guys put together and who's coming to them and the meetups it's a really good question because usually even if workshop is announced like the one for beginners anyway you will have some really really advanced developers sometimes it's to women who really good knows angular or say react or something in web development, I had senior developer, senior React developer in our workshop in London. And it was really interesting experience for me because she compared all the concepts in Vue 
to the similar ones in React, and it's a good experience even for me, like a workshop runner. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I'm sure even getting advanced people, and yeah, I guess that happens uh, everywhere. Any kind of time you teach a class, you're always going to have one or two students there that have been there, done that, or, or know a lot of, of what's happening. I was just reading a book called Brotopia, Breaking Up the Boys Club in Silicon Valley by Emily Chang, and I've, it talks about how it's so hard for women in general to get like to get into tech there's a lot of barriers and and, and i'm glad there's organizations like view vixens and and angular girl angular ng girls was that what it's called yeah ng girls ng girls that are, are promoting more more women is that kind of in the back of your mind when 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 you're talking about view vixens yes what i love about view vixens it's not only just starting and creating and teaching basic stuff to women we have a space we have a slack channel and this space is really supportive for all level of developers, senior ones, middle ones, for juniors as well. We support women speaking, like we are trying to have as many women speakers for a few events as we can. We really encourage them to find topics and start to making proposals for the, to the, actually for different conferences. And we have code help channel to answer questions on view of all different levels. And also, like, which is uh, really good about Vivixens, that we are supportive. So I know if some of women who are listening to this podcast are interested in this safe space, please check our website. We have a link to Slack channel and just join. Cool. I think some people get a little intimidated by, by tech and, and that they've never written any HTML, CSS. And I think Vue in general is a great framework just to, to start off with. You know, after you learn some fundamentals of HTML and CSS. Yeah, definitely. From my point of view, it's the easier one to start. At the same time, it's a really tricky thing because it's not easy. It's just maybe easier to start because some people are like, oh, phew, it's easy. It's like it's a basic stuff. It's not. <laughs> if you want to go advanced, it's not so easy. Yeah, I think the thing that I, I see with a lot of these groups with, you know, View Vixens and NG Girls and Rails Bridge and, you know, a lot of these other groups is that it opens the door for people. I mean, you know, I, I hear a lot about the bro culture. I have to say that I've never seen the bros close ranks to keep women out. But a lot of people feel more comfortable under certain circumstances than others. And the more people we bring in from different backgrounds, the more vibrant our community is and the more interesting problems that we can solve because we all look at things a little bit differently. And so, I mean, that that's why I get behind these movements is because it's not a justice thing for me. It's a, hey, let's bring people in thing for me. And I think a lot of times people get tangled up in the political discourse that goes around on a lot of this stuff. And I really want to encourage people regardless of where you, where you come down on some of the social justice issues, I mean, there are people trying to come in that need your freaking help. And so, you know, if, if you have the opportunity to be a mentor at View Vixens, go. If you have somebody that wants to get into programming and is a woman, encourage them to go, right? I mean, that, that's what this is really about. It's about helping people. And so, Yay. you know, I, I want, I just, I wanted to bring that up because a lot of people get so caught up in some of these issues that they miss the whole freaking point. And the whole freaking point is let's help people get in. 
And if you want to go hold another workshop and let men come, go for it. The curriculum's open source, do it. But, you know, if you Vixens is doing one and you know somebody who ought to be there, get them there. Yeah, totally right about it. I had a lightning talk at U London about this topic because in VU Discord, so we have an official VU Discord, and there was a poll about doing Q&A sessions about different topics for VU speakers. One of the topics was diversity, and one of the guys really ranted about it. So that's like, oh my God, let's keep VU free of this stuff, of these social justice warriors. And the fun stuff is VU Discord has a lot of people. It has more than 5,000 people registered and about 1.5 thousand people daily online. And you know how many women are answering questions there? Two. It's like, no, guys, you're really not diverse. There is still a lot of work ahead. It's not about social justice. It's just, just about involving women. And maybe some more people will answer questions in your Discord. And it will be better for the whole community, not only for women. Yeah, I think it's definitely worth mentioning the importance of representation. Um, because, like, like, all things aside, if someone was from an underrepresented, you know, population, let's say, like, person of color, a woman, non-binary person, and they don't see someone who's like them. Because, I mean, humans tend to act this way, where if you see someone who is like you, you are more likely to be more engaged and you're encouraged to participate. And if you don't, you're less likely to. And so the whole reason to have View Vixens and the importance of having initiatives like View Vixens and Railsbridge and all these other programs is to ensure that there is as much representation as possible so that we don't turn people away. So someone who is interested in programming, wanted to get more in, in, involved, doesn't automatically like, just assume that they're not welcome. Having more diversity means people feel like they can be part of those conversations, even though they might not have you know, grown up programming or like be a, a person that is stereotyped as like, oh, this is a technical person, for example. Um, and so like hopefully these initiatives help to combat that. And of course, like, like ultimately, if the world was ideal, we wouldn't need this, right? Like all, all together, we would have like a very diverse programming community where it wouldn't even matter like what your background is, you're already accepted. But we don't, we don't have that. And so that's why like initiatives like this kind of try to help to move the the ticker a little bit to make it more even. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm just going to chime in. I mean, again, I've, I've gone and looked for evidence that, you know, that this kind of diversity matters. I think it's an individual thing more than anything else. I haven't found a whole lot of, studies or you know anything that would be considered science that that backs a lot the opinion one way or the other i think people get tired of getting yelled at one way or the other i think there are a lot of feelings in this and i think where i come from is you know let's take the feelings out of it if somebody wants to be involved let them be involved and if the representation in the community matters to them then having a community that represents them that's awesome and if it doesn't then it doesn't. As far as whether or not the community is fair because of representation is a little hard for me to swallow. But overall, I just want to encourage people to come in because it's awesome. It's fun. I like writing view. I think a lot of other people would like writing view. But uh, yeah, you know, I, 
I don't know. I, I, I try and shy away from preaching one way or the other on this. But ultimately, yeah, I, I just I love the the open feeling. You know, I've, I've been to an NG Girls workshop where I just kind of stepped in and, you know, looked around and, you know, watched them for a little while. Very open, very helpful. People were, were willing to help out. And, and that's the thing that I love about this, right? So all that other stuff aside, no matter how you feel about it, for me anyway, it's, it's a place where people can come and they feel like they belong to. And, and that, that's important. Yeah, absolutely. And one more thing I like about our workshops and community, we are creating role models. That's why I really like to run a workshop because people, women approach me and say like, oh my God, you're kind of a senior developer. You really know the stuff you're speaking about. So I could be the same. I can do the same. I can code view. I can enjoy it. I 